the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Jesse Gestand. He's the host of Way of Grace, a pastor and a community leader. He's a teacher and an inspiration. He's Lifeline's own Jesse Gestand. See here. The time is 5.05. Happens to be September 25th, 2017. I am me and you are... You and the number here is one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Just to jot it down, just in case a thought enters into your mind that you want to share with yours truly, or talk about one triple eight three six seven five three two nine is the number to reach me on this coveted program Monday through Friday. We have news commentary, topics, issues that span the gamut. From uh, intellectual stuff, politics, um, social issues for sure, relationships, physiology, psychology, theology, and more, as you know the case might be. The number being one triple eight three six seven five three two nine one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. The folks that uh, one of the things I've been thinking about today is just how how blessed we are again. For being Californians, we have officially moved away from the summer season. I think it was about a couple of weeks ago. And uh, we are allegedly in our fall weather period. Fall weather. Isn't that phenomenal? Fall weather now. Fall weather with temperatures like 85 to 90 degrees and uh, uh, the kind of humidity that anyone in the world would covet. Again, I say to you, we are extremely blessed here in the Bay Area. So I'm happy to be with you today. Had a measurable degree of vitamin D to absorb my body. Had some rest. Had a good lunch. Looking forward to a good dinner. And had a magnificent uh, weekend to speak of and worship as has been the case for many, many years, has just been absolutely uh, enthusiastic, exuberant, wonderful, notwithstanding challenging, but just a real, real blessing to be in the house of the Lord with the people of God, preaching the word of God, worshiping the true and the living God, adoring his son, and uh, just worship has been great. We've been going through a series called Maturity in Christ, and it has been challenging uh, to say the least, but it has been also very productive from what I am hearing among those who are both listening abroad as well as nearby. And uh, you get a little bit of that at the 12 o'clock uh, uh, Web Grace program, too, although I think we're back into the book of Acts right now. Not sure. Don't listen that much. But the series on maturity has been really important to me. And those of us at Grace, because as believers, we've just, it's an inevitable objective, don't you think, that we should be growing, uh, that we should not be stagnant, that we should not settle for a kind of mundane life that does not uh, represent uh, the imposition of God's grace in our life in terms of regeneration, renewal, rebirth. We are our children of the living God, and therefore, because God is the living God and not the God of the dead, there should be a dynamic in the organic relationship between Christ and the believer, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And uh, and what that means is that we should be maturing. We should be growing. As I stated on Sunday, by way of analogy, all living things grow, whether they grow tall or wide, they grow and uh, it should be measurable growth. If we're intentional about growing. So, yeah, we've been in the book of James. James has been so challenging to us. No wonder the early church fathers called him James the pious. He was just a no nonsense preacher and teacher of the word of God. And he helped us understand the importance of counting it all joy when you enter into diverse temptations. And we have identified that joy as we are working through maturity in Christ as what we call grown folks joy. 
you know, grown folks joy, not the joy that is a consequence of uh, temporary uh, circumstances and happenstances by which we are emotionally moved and uh uh, and physically happy, but the kind of joy that comes up out of troubles as a consequence of our faith in Christ, uh, because that joy is the result of God's uh, faithfulness in our life to keep us in the midst of trials. And we learned with James that it's important for us to know how to endure trials lest we fall into temptation. And we made a clear distinction as we were working through our opening sort of framework for our series on maturity and James and James works through chapters one through five in a way, ladies and gentlemen, that really does uh, frame the challenge for the believer in the world, particularly in a troublesome world in the world. His big brother, the Lord Jesus says, you will have tribulation, you will have trouble, you will have difficulties and you need to know how to negotiate a troublesome life with a triumphant savior. You need, you need to know how to negotiate a troublesome life in the hands of a triumphant savior. If you are a child of God in the world, you have tribulation, but in Christ, you have triumph. You have the overcome overcoming triumph of the person of Christ to help you navigate this world, not leave this world, not neglect this world, not abuse this world, but navigate this world. James got in our case in James chapter one about calling God the tempter of our lives. Let no man say that God uh, hath tempted them because God can tempt no man. He himself not being tempted. Uh, God doesn't provoke you and I to sin. He doesn't put us into such situations that we have to sin. If we do, we do it volitionally because we have misinterpreted the trial and we have succumbed to the temptation. That's James 1 14. Every man is drawn away by his own lust and enticed. And when that occurs, there's a sin dynamic that uh, takes place. Pregnancy, conception and deliverance. And the consequences is death spiritually. Um, and if we are not careful eternally. So James tells us to be careful not to let our trials, which are coming, be interpreted as uh, such that God is not for us or God does not care and thus be tempted to be uh, drawn into a lustful response. And then James tells us to watch our tongue. You remember what he said, be swift to the hearing and slow to the speaking and slow to wrath, which if you look at our world today, come on, be honest. If you look around you, there's all sorts of uh, disgruntled, discontented um, uh, folks who are just uh, acting out, if you will, because they just don't like this, that or the other thing. Granted, they have a freedom to do that. There's no doubt about it. But when you meet a group of people, a person, are a group of people who are always in a disgruntled mode. I guess I'll just do some, a little bit of application here. When you meet folks who are always disgruntled, I mean always disgruntled. They are very seldom happy. They are very seldom content. They are very seldom in that space and place of confidence. When you meet people that are always issue-oriented, problem-oriented, Situation oriented, got a beef with this thing, got a beef with that person, got a beef here, there. That person is not operating out of the principle of hope. The Bible's very clear, right? The just shall live by faith. Now, faith is the substance of things. What? You got it. And being hopeful people means that we can live in the midst of crazy with a sense of clarity and a sense of calmness because of a sense of contentment in the person of Christ. Now, of course, he's the master of the storm, is he not? And he knows how to walk on the water and he knows how to tell his sons and daughters to be of good cheer. It is I. And the eye of faith is able to see Christ in the midst of the storm and know that he's the master of the storm captain of the sea. He's the captain of the ship in the which all of us are believers are in and are making our way to the land of glory. So yeah, things can be topsy-turvy and difficult, but we can really find in the midst of those trials a grown folk joy that doesn't lead us to uh, sinful behaviors, our carnal passions, our uh, lustful demonstrations, as you see the world always, again, unfortunately, 
Uh, it's the job of Jay Sekulow to deal with the political issues. But aren't we always, always, always hearing about war, 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 rumors of wars and conflicts on the brink of war here, on the brink of war there? Well, that's because the kingdom of God is not at uh, reign in the hearts of our leaders. And the only thing they know is aggression. The only thing they know is hostility. The only thing they know is pain and uh, conflict and suffering. But the child of God should be driven by hope. And so I do want to encourage you uh, to to get a hold of the series. Go way back to almost a year now. And if you listen to this series on maturity at Way of Grace, uh, gracebiblechurch.com, you will be uh, in, you will be ilu- illuminated and uh, enlightened as to what God is calling us to. Um, yeah, just great. The other thing is, is uh, you know, thinking about uh, the disgruntledness that's taking place in our society. What do you think? about what's happening in the NFL with uh, the players almost across the board exhibiting per game um, a disgruntledness and disapproval of the behavior of our government relative to um, law enforcement uh, abusing and uh, taking advantage of our citizenry. What do you think about the NFL's uh, now just kind of vivid uh, sort of uh, center stage protest against what's going on. Uh, Is it a distraction for you relative to the game? Is it something that you wish was not there? Or uh, do you see some kind of redemptive benefit from it? I do. I actually see some some redemptive benefit from it. And I'd be glad to hear from you on that because, you know, it's our world. Uh, And whether we like it or not, there is a lot of information to, to be derived from television relative to our understanding, excelling our understanding. We don't have to travel the world. We don't have to go from state to state. Uh, We can learn a whole lot about our world, both here locally and abroad, globally, just through our television, uh, if we are watching television objectively with an analytical mindset. So for me, what I thought about as I watched a few of the NFL games, at least on the news, um, after a wonderful, wonderful Sunday, and I'll talk to you a little bit about what I'm going to kind of just open up with here in a minute in terms of marriage, because I've just been marrying folks all over the place the last couple of two or three weeks and still got a series of marriages to do. But um, here are three things that I think is important. The benefit and redemptive value of the protests that are going on in the NFL is that it, it its impact between the players and the coaches and the owners is vivid. You know, uh, it's kind of a precarious thing when you are an owner of a football team and that football team is uh, a bunch of male, very strong um, alpha males. And uh, and they start taking a position of, of public protest. And you as an owner have to determine whether or not you're going to have, you know, kind of mutiny on the ship or some kind of distraction that's going to hinder the team's capacity to function and perform. Um, and, and, and granted, all this started with uh, with Colin Kaepernick last year. Uh, and I'm not real sure if he's even gotten picked picked up this year. And that might also be a sustaining uh, issue in terms of the growing public and demonstrative protesting that you see in the NFL. But the impact of it as uh, as as yours truly is observing is that the players and the coaches and the owners now are having to work together. It's impact upon the fellow players relative to tolerating and uh, and appropriately responding to the differences of opinions among the brethren. That is the teammates. Uh, you'll see one guy kneeling down, another brother holding on to his shoulder while he's standing, which means that he wholly accepts that that player, that teammate for who he is, though he may not agree with his posture or his protest. And I think that that's a good thing. I think that one can disagree uh, vehemently with a person's position and yet wholly embrace and accept that person, particularly when our jobs rely upon us being teammates. That, therefore, can speak to us about all kinds of relationships, can it not? Do we have to always agree upon everything? No. And if we don't, is there a way by which in our disagreement we can still show a very vivid, very clear, a very robust unity that is not hypocritical in nature? That's the thing that I see taking place. Those guys are standing on the uh, sideline during the uh, national anthem. And uh, some are saluting, some are kneeling, some are just sitting and some are doing other things. 
and yet they get on the field and they play the game because they realize that what they are protesting is largely symbolic of other issues. It's not something to be taken out on the fans or the game, but it is an opportunity, I believe, for them to call attention to something that is a sustained problem that we ultimately have to deal with on a local level, if not on a national level. Um, and so their response to it as owners and as teammates, et cetera, has proven to be a bonding factor. If you want to take anything away from what these football teams are doing relative to a very controversial issue of which some of the players have already recently uh, been in scuffles and scandals. One of the running backs for the Dallas Cowboys just came up out of a trial with a police officer nailing him to the ground and using pejoratives against him, uh, not knowing that he was an NFL football star who has the ability to make the issue that was apparent to the police officer to only be a kind of private thing. Now it's a public thing, and that is part of the liability, isn't it? That today, uh, what folks could get away with, people in power, as James talked about in James chapter 5, this is what we dealt with this this, uh, this Sunday. Uh, come here now, you who are rich, and you who have power to oppress, and you who have power to control and dominate and take advantage of and defraud those who don't have the ability to resist you. Same kind of context was going on in the first century against the Christians. Uh, it's taking place publicly in our world. But today we can protest in a certain way against it in a fashion that is not uh, necessarily destructive to societal peace, which I affirm and agree with, particularly at this level where we can inform people, hey, there's a problem. That I think his name is Bennett. Yeah, he gets up. He says, all right, I'll, I'll take this heat. But uh, because you want to persist in uh, abusing your powers as a police officer, I'm going to take this to the streets. Now the whole world knows who this police officer is, and uh, they know that he did wrong. And there's a, a court case and lawsuits and all that's going on. I think that that's a good thing. So long as we use that tool. Uh, in a way to lead us towards um, unity and healing and uh, constructive uh, uh, discipline that uh, that that strikes the balance for society. Yay for the 21st century technology along these lines. All right, that's my opening monologue. I've got three lines open: one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. In fact, four one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. I'll take your questions on pretty much anything that uh, is reasonable. If it's not, I'll, you know, we'll quickly censor that. But I'm looking forward to hearing from you. one 367 When I come back, I want to talk to you a little bit about marriage. Yep, we're almost ready for another rules of engagement class. I'm, I'm thinking about a particular topic. I'll talk to you about that as well. But I do want to talk to you about marriage, a few angles about it that I think might be productive for all of us interested in it particularly you singles and those of you who've been married for a while but are having some challenges, we're going to talk about that. Again, my number is one 329 This is the Monday edition of Lifeline. We will be right back. And now back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistand. All right, we're back. The time, 526 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. The number one 329 Jesse Gistan in the house with you for the next hour and a half. Be glad to hear from you. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine is the number to call in with your questions, comments, or observations. What we opened up with was some of the issues that are going on in our nation around uh, protesting on the part of the NFL players, and I um, just wanted to call that to your attention because I think it's a good. Uh, a good mechanism by which to keep us aware of what's going on out there in society. Just in case you haven't had the unfortunate incident of running across maybe an authority police officer or someone like that taking advantage of their power over you as a citizen, um, it does happen. And it's something that we uh, can't stick our heads in the sand about. And we want to make sure that, uh, um, that we are appropriately responding to it while we still have free citizenry in this world. And as I said earlier, what I've been doing recently is kind of dealing with putting people together. That is um, joining them in union in holy matrimony. And it's been fascinating over the six months. I mean, really, really fascinating. The one institution, ladies and gentlemen, that we all know is uh, the most, the most gratifying, satisfying, if you will, 
uh, and yet the most challenging as well, just challenging in so many ways, is the institution of marriage. Would you not agree? Right. And yet for those who are single and never have been married, they do want to enter into that institution. What's driving that kind of compelling leaning towards that? What is that all about? When in reality, you know, we look at marriage and marriage, um, you know, it has tons of challenges. Those of us uh, who are children, we are often uh, the consequent, are we not, of marriages that weren't all that great uh, in terms of their impact upon us as children. And yet we grow up. What do we do? We immediately uh, lean into the prospect of marriage. And why is that? Because we were made for what? Relationship. That's exactly right. Made for relationship. So uh, obviously the role of, of pastors are to, uh, to, to join people in holy matrimony and the union of marriage is grand institution. And there are sort of three phases to it that I am learning. Um, marrying people, and that is the premarital phase of counseling, right? Talking to them about kind of the essentials to uh, preparing for a smooth entry into marriage, and then what marriage is in terms of its own ontology or nature or essence um, and dynamic. And so there is the premarital uh, counseling, there is the marital counseling, there's the postmarital counseling, really. Uh, what happens when uh, when people marriages people's marriages collapse and break apart, or when a person loses their loved one in death? How do they deal with that? So, as a pastor, when you are engaged in that kind of counseling mode, um, you learn a lot. And I just want to say, uh, these days, uh, marriage um, it, it has a sort of broad spectrum of uh, manifestation. And application, a very broad spectrum of manifestation and application. And there are really good pieces of advice tech that can be rendered to help you. Let's say right now you are in uh, looking stages. Okay, let, we're, we're going to do this. So I, I'll take your calls. one 367 Let's say you're looking, you're a single young man, single young woman. And you want some advice on um, how to choose a spouse. All right. So I have six traits to look uh, for in a spouse that I'm going to share with you. Six traits to look for in a spouse that I'm going to share with you. And and let's say, you know, you are married. Okay. Let's say you're married. Then I'm going to talk to you about uh, the things you really shouldn't be doing uh, that would destroy your marriage. Okay. I want to talk to you about that and I'll be glad to engage you in discussion around it. Um, And let's say you, you also have uh, lost a loved one uh, in death or you have been divorced. What do I do with a divorce? Because whether they die or they divorce you or you them, there is a grieving process that takes place at the end of that relationship. I think you would agree. So I'm going to set the context before we go to break here in a moment. And again, the lines are open. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. What about the individual who wants to be married? And we know we know that it is really hard to find someone uh, with which we can um, uh, make that commitment to and with uh, forever. Well, here are six traits. I'm just going to highlight the titles of them. Uh, written by a pastor in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Ben Riak. And I think these are really good. This is at least a premise for us to discuss. The first thing you want to ask about that person, beyond your sort of carnal tendencies to make sure that they are tall, dark, and handsome, or um, built like a brick house, or all of the other superficial stuff that really does not have amount to a hill of beans around real happy marriages. Let's get that out the way right now. So you can, you can, you fellas, you men and you women, you young men and young women of whom I'm just, I, I, I just, I spent a great deal of time musing over how uh, the average young Christian, professing Christian, is blinded to real substantial virtues relative to wanting to have a good marriage by superficial expectations that have no basis in the Bible or in 
a, a positive marriage. So let's let's say that you maintain the erection, no pun intended, of a wall uh, that you are holding to relative to she's got to look like this. He's got to look like that. Let's say you're holding up holding up that barrier. OK, if you can overcome that barrier, meaning if you can find you a fine sister and a fine brother. All right. Let's see. The, let's see now if they actually carry these attributes. And then I'll take your phone calls if you're in the midst of this. When we come back, I'll deal with five ways you can jack your marriage up and you end up, uh, you know, at the brink of divorce. First, I want to ask the question. Does that person actually follow through on their word? When you when you start communicating with them and they are engaging you in conversation, can you can you find them to be intrinsically or pathologically or at least persistently faithful in their word? Do they keep their word? Do they come on time? Do they do what they say they are going to do? Do they go here and there as they said they would? Or is there some problem in the area of them saying one thing and doing another? If they're saying one thing and doing another, you got a problem. Number two, does this person actually really help you? Or are they possessing the codependent tendencies that simply prop you up in all of the bad areas of your life? Do they actually make you stronger? That's point number two. Are you looking for a person who can really help you? Do they keep their word? Are they yay and nay or are they yay? Do they strengthen you by being uh, healthily critical or um, at least uh, speaking to areas that can really uh, make you a better person? Or are are they a yes person? Do they simply kiss up to you? And are they uh, prone to be a codependent to your weaknesses? That's number two. Number three, is this person hardworking? This is so very important. I know that ladies, you would you would want that in a man. But I do want to say this, men, if you are meeting a woman who actually is lazy, you're going to have a problem with them. If they're lazy, you're going to have a problem. Laziness anywhere is a problem. That's just it's not a good thing for anybody. Uh, The Bible actually says that believers ought to be diligent in spirit, fervent in business, always about the things of the kingdom on a number of levels. I'll expand that over the next hour and a half since I see I'm not going to get any calls, but we're going to do a marriage class today. Okay, are they um, hardworking? Are they diligent oriented? Do they keep busy so that when you have conversation for 20 minutes or 30 minutes or 40 minutes, they do not slip into The negative talk of gossip or slander or negativity about someone or something, again, as we said in our opening monologue, are they disgruntled? Please be careful about gravitating towards the disgruntled person. You are not Jesus. You can't save them. And uh, they certainly won't save you, but they will drag you into that ugly pit called uh, uh, discontentment and disgruntledment. And uh, and 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 kind will be get kind. Very difficult. So here are the two, here are the first three. Um, are they uh, people who follow through in their word? Do they make you stronger? Thirdly, are they hardworking? Fourthly, is this person generous and hospitable? Ah, here's a real characteristic. And I'm going to demonstrate how all these are biblical. Are they generous and hospitable? Do they do they have a sense of giving? Are they servant oriented in their heart? Are they are they willing, really, really, really willing to give up their resources to help people and not do it as a as a means of obtaining an end? Fifthly, is this person wise and eager? To help others. In other words, does this person trust the Lord? Is this person a believer? Uh, does this person have the characteristics of a godly person relative to keeping his word, relative to uh, making you stronger because they are not complying with your weaknesses, but uh, encouraging you to grow? Is that person a hardworking, industrious type of individual that uh, that has a lot to say about what he is going through or she is going through relative to how the Lord is is working with them on an everyday level. Is this person generous and hospitable or are they stingy and hoarding? This is the thing we're talking about in James 5 as well. And here's the fifth one as we head to the break. Is this person wise and eager to help others? If those five traits, six traits are there, here's the sixth one really. Does this person truly trust Jesus? And actually, for me, trusting Jesus will manifest itself in a voracious hunger for God's word 
But that word also must be transformational relative to the things that we talked about. You don't want to marry just a religious person. You don't want to marry a person who has a Bible, who can actually quote scripture, but doesn't actually have a vital connection to Jesus Christ. You don't want that, ladies. You don't want that, men. You want a sister or brother who is serious about walking with God, not just going to church, walking with the Savior. Listen, we got to take a break. When I come back, I'll take your calls. All the lines are open. one 888 We're talking about marriage today. We're going to go deep into it. Deep, deep, deep. one 888 I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistan. We're back. The time is 542. One line open, one 888 I am talking about the preliminaries to entering into marriage, and I have laid out fundamentally six observations, six characteristics that will definitely help you relative to picking um, a, a spouse that will uh, honor God. And as we had stated before, getting past the... Uh, wall of uh, superficial appearance and and all of those other uh, tangible things that really don't amount to a, a happy marriage, a successful marriage, or a biblical marriage. Once you have gotten past that, if you can ever do that, um, we said, does that person follow through with their word? Are they very um, clear on uh, what they say and then doing what they say versus <clears throat> the ambivalence of uh, saying one thing and doing another? And then we ask the question, does this person make you stronger or do they aid and abet you? Fellas, you can easily find a woman out there who will say yes to everything that you want them to say yes to. That doesn't mean she's making you stronger. She may very well be affirming you in your delusion. Uh, and vice versa, <clears throat> ladies, vice versa. Is that person a hardworking person? For me, that is critical on the list because a hard person, hardworking person actually means that they understand that they are here for a purpose and not to just kind of dilly-dally about, meander about as busybodies. You don't want a busybody religious person that's not really about their business. Uh, in the world in which we live, ladies and gentlemen, it is critical to be missional on a number of levels. Uh, we said, do they make you stronger? Is Are they a hardworking person? Is this person generous and hospitable? If they are stingy and hoarding, they may have deep, deep, deep psychological problems, deep emotional problems, deep attachment problems. And if that's the case, men, you may be coming out of the pocket for tons of things that you can't afford, which will ultimately not satisfy her. Or vice versa. Fifthly, is this person wise and eager to help others? Do you find them committed to ministry of charities, uh, acts of serving, or are they living the existentialist life of being self-centered and narcissistic? Sixthly, does this person truly what? Trust the Lord Jesus Christ. And as I stated before, you can say you trust the Lord Jesus. You can have a Bible. It can even be King James. You can go to church, but that doesn't mean at all that these characteristics are present, vital, are promising, and it doesn't mean that you're a believer uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not saying that you're a believer, but rather manifesting faith by a pursuit of godliness that is a consequence of your walk with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I've got one line open, one triple eight three six seven. excuse me, 5329. I do also want to talk about five ways you can murder your marriage, but I'll get to that after the break. Let me go to line two and talk with Marco and San Leandro. Marco, are you there? What's your question or observation, sir? Uh, um, I wanted to ask, um, what is, you know, it's off topic, I'm sorry, but um, I wanted to ask, what is the proper way of uh, preaching the gospel to those on the street? You know, you see these uh, street preachers, hellfire street preachers, and I want to know if that was biblical. No, it's wrong. Just simply wrong. Um, uh, preaching has to be done in terms of communicating the, the, the proclamation of the word in, in a context where the citizenry or the people to whom you're speaking um, are amenable to it. That is to say, um, if you're going to be preaching a hell and fire brimstone type of message, um, that has to be to a culture of, of people who have um, who have a predisposition uh, Marco towards 
um, towards biblical truth uh, with 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 uh, with a regards to the fear of God and 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 what they might already hold on a worldview level as consequences to their sinful actions. You and I live in a postmodern, uh, very secular, existentialist society where individuals are operating out of the false canopy of religion is its own idea. I op- operate out of my own autonomy. I could care less about what they are saying on a propositional level. And that is even more compounded when one sort of hurls a heated, thrustful terminology that fundamentally sounds like Charlie Brown's teacher just going rah, 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 rah with a big megaphone. That is not really the way that it's done in terms of the context. Again, uh, you'll mark that what will occur when you have the person on the soapbox with the megaphone just kind of hurling out prophecies of doom and judgment and damnation, et cetera, largely that they're just blowing into the air. Their argument would be that's the way they did it 100 years ago, 200 years ago, Whitfield um, and others, Wesley, et cetera, et cetera. But my point is to, is, to, is to this. You don't really see that model at all, Marco, in the scriptures. You do not see the model of the apostles standing in the marketplace, raising their voices just to be heard. In fact, that's the model that Christ said, do not do in Matthew chapter five and six. Do not be like the Pharisees who stand in the marketplace in the middle of the street and pray loud prayers just to be heard of men. In other words, there is a we can probably suspect if we can get past, you know, a, a, a sort of a naive motive on the part of our brothers who are doing that. We can probably suspect that they don't have a real clear uh, way of communicating with people on a more personal level uh, or a more contextual level. I'll say one more thing about it relative to the kerygma. Yes, the kerygma is all about being a heralder for the king and an ambassador for his word. But when Jesus said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel, what he meant by go was to live in the world in all of the spaces in which the world provides it. And then to be ready upon every opportunity and occasion to share the gospel where you are. And what that would mean is that we are expecting the spirit of God, Marco, to open doors for an opportunity for us to talk. So let's say when our group goes out, we have what is called an N1 group. I'll just share that with you guys. We have an um, evangelical ministry team that goes out every couple months. When we go out, we go up to people and we talk to people. We don't stand on a soapbox. We go up to people and we talk to people. We say, hi, can I talk to you about the Lord Jesus Christ? Or we say, hi, would you like to talk about religion? Or we would say, hi, do you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Or we would say, are you interested in the Bible? We are seeking a conversation by which we can share the gospel. Yes, many times they'll say, yes, I'm a Christian, or um, yes, I'm a Christian, but I don't have time now. Or no, I'm not a Christian. I'm not interested. All right, we're not going to keep pressing the issue with that person and start hurling at them Bible verses simply because we kind of want to get um, our mission accomplished. That is uncaring, and it's unwise. You understand what I'm saying? Right, and it's much more successful when you seek a conversation around Christ with them than you do simply hurling, uh, you know, religious expletives at them. They are not hearing that. It also indicates that you really don't have a knowledge and understanding of the working of the third person. That is the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is the one that draws lost sinners to hear the gospel. He draws them to hear the word, Marco. He draws them to hear as you are sharing the word. But it's going to be like the apostles did it. The apostles were worshiping in the context of prayer, Acts chapter 2. So without a prayerful disposition, it's a fleshly act to go out and just start hurling, uh, you know, uh, proclamations of damnation and fire. Secondly, if you're going to stand around where you know you're in the thoroughfares of all sorts of people and just share the word of God, you can just share the word of God in a common way. Do a Bible study right there and then ask people, would you be interested in a, in hearing us talk about the topic of salvation or the topic of, 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 of redemption? or the topic of repentance or the topic of atonement or the topic of God's nature or the topic. Are you interested? Would you like to join us and and pass out literature? Do all that. But don't uh, come off as if you don't really care about the manner in which you're communicating to them because we are in a postmodern culture. They won't hear it. Yeah. Um, Could I ask one more question? Sure. Um, These 
um, there's certain uh, doctrines around that are that speak about uh, baptizing in Jesus' name only. Mm-hmm. Okay, How is that biblical? Um, I would say that historically that would be an erroneous doctrine relative to mm-hmm. the baptizing in Jesus' name only actually is held by um, people who hold to what is called oneness uh, theology, oneness Pentecostals or oneness theology, a Unitarian view of um, of God relative to the three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, and historically that's what we call Sabellianism or modalism where God is this monad who kind of manifests himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Father in the Old Testament, Son in the Gospels, and the Holy Spirit <clears throat> in the New. And they would generally largely kind of center those three persons into Jesus, the Son, so that Jesus is both the Father and the Holy Spirit, and he's the one in whose name we are to baptize people. But that would be um, that would not only be wrong in terms of a biblical exegesis, Marco, but it would be diametric, diametrically opposed to the actual formula for baptism. So I'll, I'll kind of give you the two tensions before I let you go. The Lord Jesus said in Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel, making disciples of yourselves, uh, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. The one name is the identity of God the Father through God the Son and by God the Spirit. In other words, the Lord Jesus Christ was teaching us that in order to know God, we must know him through three persons. The third person being the Spirit of God who reveals to us Jesus. Jesus being the second person who reveals to us the Father. The Father being the first person. As the scriptures plainly say, there is one true and living God, even the Father, and one Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, And we all by him and through him. So the work of the spirit of God in drawing sinners to the true and the living God is to show us Christ in order that we might see the father. And that is the name into which all Christians are to be baptized. It's a confession that we recognize the true and the living God. We recognize the father, the son and the Holy Spirit as those three persons by which salvation is truly revealed to men. If we then go to the book of Acts and we see where every time that there is uh, a call to repent and be baptized, the phraseology in Jesus name, in Jesus name. And it's not just Jesus name. It's in the Lord Jesus or in Jesus Christ or in the name of the Lord Jesus or in Jesus name. So the terms are explicitly different by design in the book of Acts. What that simply indicates is our authority to baptize people comes from Jesus. The formulation with which we baptize them is father, son, and Holy ghost. So the book of Acts says we baptize you by the authority of Jesus Christ. Here is the formula, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Does that make some sense? Yes, sir. All right. Thank you for the call. Got to take a break. Way overdue. Uh, Michael, hold on. We'll be right back. Two lines open. one 888 We'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistand. And we're back. One line open, one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Two lines open now, one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Love to hear to hear from you on the topic and points that we're making about preliminaries to marriage. Is that person that you're dating and seriously dating, does, do they carry the characteristics and traits that we talked about? Are they uh, trustworthy in their words? Do they follow through what they say? Uh, Does that individual actually strengthen you by virtue of being able to encourage you in areas of your weaknesses versus um, accommodating you? Is that person a hardworking individual? Do they really work hard because they're missional in nature and they understand that they're here for a purpose? Um, Is that person generous and hospitable? Do they hospitable? Do they have a natural giving disposition and do they eagerly seek to help people? Do they carve out time intentionally set aside time to actually help people versus just live as a consumer of this world's life? Are they animated about partying and going here and doing that, doing this all the time versus, all right, you know what? I think what I want to do once a month, if not once a week is help somebody. That's really uh, what Christ has called us to do. And finally, do they have an authentic Christianity that is um, unsuspecting, that doesn't carry with it the hollowness of religion? Two lines open, one 367 Love to hear from you, ladies, gentlemen. 
If you're dealing with a brother or a sister and you know there's some character issues, let's talk about it. Let's go to line number three and talk with Michael in San Francisco. Michael, what's your question or observation today? How you doing, Pastor? I'm uh, good. Just uh, questions are kind of dealing with, um, like, prayer mm-hmm. and prayer around his will and mm-hmm. also knowing his will and the scriptures um, that I wanted to put before you just to kind of help uh, put some context around our Genesis 2.8, um, specifically when he's talking about it's not good, um, 1 Corinthians 7, 9, uh-huh. when he's talking about his, it is better. Right. Second uh, Samuel 12, 8, where he's talking about David, such and such things, like basically implying that he could have just asked the right. prayer. Right, right. And then finally, the, the verse of the prayer is 1 John 5, 14. Mm-hmm. Just, if Excellent will, verses. Do it. Excellent verses. So I'm I, just go not on. really getting, you know, is... Is it is it his will for us to be married if we're single because he says it's not good, if we can't contain, and we should just ask for it if we're in a situation kind of something like David's? And, and just maybe help me with all those verses mm-hmm. and that kind of struggle, you know. Yeah, those are great questions. And how to pray, how to frame up the prayer, mm-hmm. if you will. I no, no, I would. I, if I were, if I were you in that particular context, I would just frame it the way that you have ran it through the scriptures. I think that's a great way. It's it's the fundamental mandate of God for procreation, as is laid out in the Genesis narrative. Without a doubt, um, it is very clear in the Proverbs that he that findeth the wife findeth the good thing, but she has to actually still meet those qualifications because to find one that does not, as you might know, um, is going to make the marriage a problem. So there's the pre-marriage qualifications, and then there's the intramarriage uh, reality that comes as a consequence of either following wise biblical counsel relative to a wife, and a wife um, or not, uh, or a husband as well. And so um, I would say that the central question that you would want to be focusing in on relative to, is it God's will, which is, yeah. um, which is, which is, is a mystery in scripture is... <clears throat> Is am I am I will the will of God being a mystery? Am I, uh, and and this is very important, men and women, because uh, one of the articles I have as well is singleness is not a punishment for imperfection. Singleness is not a punishment for imperfection, and what will happen is the adversary will often get inside your head and tell you, "Well, see, you're single because you've done so much wrong, you've committed so much sin, you've done so much error <clears throat> that that God doesn't want you to be married." That's that's actually one of the articles I have here as well in front of me relative to this to this topic. That would be a complete misnomer. That would not be true at all. I would say no, this. Blacklisting w- is a fallacy. Gotcha. Right. It's, it's utterly a fallacy. It's self-blacklisting as well. It would be an yeah, indication yeah. of a, a kind of weakness in faith. But I will say this for the ladies and gentlemen out there. Um, if you're in a position where you desire a spouse, if you desire to be married, what you need to do with that passion and desire, which would be born of its own right, is to augment that by simply the preparatory issues that are critical to you being a good spouse to them. Okay, Lord, I do want to be married. I do not want to be by myself. I do do not have the gift of celibacy. That's very obvious to myself. Um, You could give it to me, and if you wanted me to have it, give it to me because I really actually want to do your will. Um, But in as much as I have a tendency to be distracted by my my desires, uh, help me, God, to actually rein in my priorities right now so as to prepare for that person that I am trusting that you will send my way. Help me to rein in my priorities to help me prepare for the person that you're going to send my way. That's going to be the major uh, work that I am calling the young person to do, Michael, uh, before that individual comes. And then I would love to talk about um, how to see how to see the godly woman that's in front of you mm-hmm. versus the brick house chick that you want to yeah. be saved that's not in front of you. Because that's the big yeah. problem with our brothers. Yeah. So there is the sister that is there. <laughs> some, mm-hmm. of, some, of, some of my pastor friends and I, and they're listening now. My pastor friends are listening now. And we're laughing because we go, here we are, a bunch of old dudes, happily married with kids and everything. We see sisters all over the place that, that are, you know, preparing to and desiring and wanting to be married. And they come to us and, and pastor, I'm ready. You know, I, I'm, I, you know, just where are the brothers at? And so there is this kind of veil and wall <clears throat> that exists between uh, believing men and believing women that does not allow them to interact at the level of potential. 
there's a veil there and a wall that 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 kind of blocks men from seeing the potential in a good wife and often women and a good man that that hinders them. These are these are expectations that are flawed. These are uh, perceptions that are distorted and they hinder that possibility. And uh, this could be expanded further, Michael, as you know, and, and, and it will when we get into our next rules of engagement yeah. class along this line, because right now that's what we're working on is kind of setting up the singles for being able to do a better job of finding that spouse. Yeah. And the questions, the questions you gave are good. They're, they're very good. Also- too on just one last thing on the other side of that wall maybe i'm wrong but it feels like as a brother we don't want to cause our sister to stumble in any way or at least i have made mistakes where i, I you just want to walk a tight rope and a fine line right no all that's yeah. good the problem is, is that before all that's good the problem is is that before you guys didn't have the accountability structures necessary to True. go from point a to z that, yeah, that's all you. that was. Thank that's you, that's all that was. When we do, when we do it right, there are accountability structures that help us actually achieve those litmus tests that are necessary for us to cross over into the union of marriage in a confident way. So we don't want to cheat the test. We definitely want to do the test right so that when we pass the test in terms of being qualified for it, we can go in with a measure of confidence. That is critical, too. Thanks for the call. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Let me see here. Jamila, you hold on. I've got to take a break. Three lines open, one 367 Michael gave some really good verses around how to think through what the Bible says about it. It's challenges, it's difficulties, and I am looking forward to your calls. We're in the second hour. I will get into my second set of uh, of comments and uh, questions around five ways to destroy your marriage when I come back. But the lines are open. Let's do some uh, marriage talk on the Monday edition of Lifeline, one 367 5329 We'll be right back. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com. 